Chapter One of A Winter of Content. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Winter of Content by Laura Lee Davidson. Chapter One. Now there is a rocky isle in the mid sea, midway between Ithaca and rocky Samos. Asteris, a little isle. From the Odyssey of Homer, translated by S. S. Butcher and Andrew Lang. A small rocky island in the lake, a canoe paddling away across the blue water, a woman standing on a narrow strip of beach, looking after it. I was the woman left on the shore. The canoe held my companions of the past summer. The island was to be my home until another summer should bring them back again. There is no denying that I was frightened as I turned back along the trail toward the little house among the birches. It was hard work to keep from jumping into a boat and putting out after the canoe that was rounding the point and leaving me alone. Little chilly fears laid icy fingers on the back of my neck. A shadow slipped between the trees. A sigh whispered among the leaves. I wanted to see all round me. I wanted to put my back against a wall. A little grinning goblin of misgiving stuck out an impudent tongue as it quoted some of the jeers of unsympathetic friends and relatives who had derided my plan for borrowing the camp when summer was gone and staying on alone at the lake of many islands good-bye had smiled my sister you say you mean to stay a year but you'll tire of solitude long before the winter we'll see you back at thanksgiving it was only mid-september but i wanted to see her then at that very instant there had been a farewell dinner the family assembled to prophesy disaster you'll freeze your nose and ears off warned a reassuring aunt in vain i reminded her that no inhabitant seen in five summers sojourn at the lake had been without a nose or ears all had had the requisite number of features although some of those same features had withstood the cold of well-nigh a hundred winters but she was not consoled and continued to regard me so tearfully that I felt sure that she was bidding farewell to my nose. "'You'll break a leg and lie for days before anyone knows you are hurt,' said Cousin John. "'You'll be snowed in, and no one will find you until spring,' said Brother Henry. "'You are a city woman, and not strong. What do you know of a pioneer's life? It is the most foolish plan we ever heard of,' chorused all. Descending from prophecy to argument, they continued, "'Of course you will have a telephone.' "'That I will not,' I answered. I have been jerked at the end of a telephone wire for years. I want rest. At least you will have a good dog. That will be some protection. A dog would drive away all the wild things. I want to study them, I objected. Then, for mercy's sake, find some other woman to stay there with you. Surely there is another lunatic willing to freeze to death on the precious island. You should have a companion, if only to send for help. I don't want a companion, I protested tearfully. I won't be responsible for another person's comfort or safety. I will do this thing alone or not at all. I'm tired to death, I stormed. I need rest for at least one year. I want to watch the procession of the seasons in some place that is not all paved streets, city smells, and noise. Instead of the clang of car bells and the honk of automobile horns, I want to hear the winds sing across the ice fields. Instead of the smell of asphalt and hot gasoline, I want the odor of wet earth in boggy places. I've loved the woods all my life. I long to see the year go round there just once before I die. At which outburst they shrugged, exasperated shoulders, and were silent. 
but each one drew me aside at parting and pressed a gift into my hand be sure to let us know if anything goes wrong write to us if you need the least thing don't be ashamed to come back if the experiment proves a failure and so on and so on god bless them of all this the bogey reminded me as he danced ahead on the winding trail the house looked lonely even in the brightness of the late afternoon i hurried supper to be indoors before the twilight fell big canadian hares hopped along the paths and sat at the kitchen door their great eyes peering long furry ears alert quivering noses pressed against the wire screen grouse pecked on the hillside as tame as barnyard fowl from the water came the evening call of the loons the scant meal finished i ran across the platform from the kitchen to the main house and locked up somehow i did not want any open doors behind me that evening then i loaded the pistol and laid it on a shelf at the head of the bed along with the bible and the prayer book if any marauder could know how dreadfully afraid i am of that pistol he would do his marauding with a quiet mind i never expect to touch that weapon it shall be cleaned and oiled when any of the men come over from the mainland but handle it never i would not fire it for a kingdom while it was still light i climbed into bed and lay down rigid with tight shut eyes trying to pretend i did not hear all the rustling creaking snapping noises in the woods heavy animals pushed through the fallen leaves something that sounded as large as a moose went crashing through the dry bushes a rabbit i whispered to myself creatures surely as large as bears rushed through the underbrush grouse i tried to believe from the lake came stealthy sounds driftwood pounding against the rocks not really oars i murmured to my thumping heart then light pattering footsteps on the porch in desperation i raised my head and looked out it was a little red fox trotting busily along snuffling softly as he went i lay down and closed my eyes firmly determined not to open them again no matter what might happen then must have dozed for suddenly i was aware of a light that flooded all the room there through the northeast window large and round and beautiful shone the moon the great moon of the falling leaves it's like the sudden meeting with a friend reassuring comforting a broad band of light lay across my breast like a kind arm thrown over me the path of the moonbeams on the water seemed the road to some safe haven with the moon's calm face looking in and the soft lapping of the waves as lullaby i fell asleep and lo it was day this house the living room of the camp that is to be my home for the coming winter stands on a bluff overhanging the lake it is a one-room shack sixteen by twenty feet surrounded by an eight-foot porch it is one-storied shingled the porch roof upheld by birch log pillars beautiful still clothed in their silvery bark there are eight windows two in each corner and through some of them the sun is always shining adjoining this main shack and connected with it by an uncovered platform are the kitchen and storeroom but these will not be used in winter the stores and i have to stay in the big house if we are not to freeze from these buildings little trails run off through the woods to the dock the pump the summer sleeping shacks and a path goes all round the island close to the shore away from these beaten tracks are all sorts of hidden nooks and lovely dim seclusions this little rocky island one of scores that dot the face of the lake is all a tangle of ferns and vines and wild flowers 
it is thickly wooded with white birch poplar and wild cherry there are also oaks maples pines and great clumps of basswood and innumerable little cedars are pushing up everywhere making a way through the overgrown paths in the early morning i break through myriads of spiderwebs stretched across from bushes heavy with dew they feel like the tiniest of fairy fingers brushing my cheek and laid on my eyelids light as the memory of a caress butterflies dressed in black velvet with white satin frills and sapphire jewels flutter on ahead and the stems of the birches are seen through a gold-green glow like sunlight shining through clear water when i sit on the sandy bottom with the whole lake for my washpot small fishes wearing coral buttons and jade-green ruffles on fins and tails bump their blunt noses against my knees sounds from the mainland come across the lake blurred and indistinct on the island i hear only the wind and the trees the water beating against the stones and the hum of many insect wings there's something queer about the island i'm convinced that it stands on some magnetic pole or other that puts every clock and watch out of order as soon as it is landed here cheap or fine every timepiece breaks a mainspring and then we fall back on the sundial to tell us what's a clock we can always know when it is noon provided the weather be sunny when it is cloudy we guess at the time and wait for the next fine day this sundial stands in a clearing beside the house and bears for its motto not the high-sounding latin quotation that seems to belong to sundials but the trite assertion time is valuable a statement wholly untrue so far as this present life of mine is concerned a fine bass now or a tin of beans perhaps is valuable but surely not time in a place where there is nothing to do but eat sleep and think yet when i stood to-day on this lonely bit of land in the midst of an empty lake waiting for the shadow to travel to the mark i seemed to catch for one fleeting instant some idea of the terrible inexorable passing of the hours set thy house in order set thy house in order something seemed to say for never for thee shall the shadow turn back upon the dial in that moment i stood alone in space on this old clock the earth swinging with the whirling of the spheres the lake too has its mystery a strange light that shines from the point of one of the islands no one lives on that land there is no farmhouse near it on the shore nor is it in line with any dwelling whose light could seem to glimmer from its point the flare is too high and too steady for fox-fire the glow that comes from rotting wood and though men said they have explored the place repeatedly there has never been any sign of a camp-fire there but every now and again the light shines by night like a beacon and no one has ever explained it perhaps it is the phantom of the council fire round which the red warriors sat in the days when this land was there for there were indians hereabout and not so very long ago and people on the mainland tell of a great fight that raged here when a band of the missiagua nation led by the chief white eagle fought with an invading war party and of a day of battle from dawn until the going down of the sun when the lake was red with blood on the sheer face of the cliff of the opposite island are red veinings in the rock one pretends very hard they are pictures of two war canoes left there by some artist of the tribe the people here believe in them devoutly they were painted in blood they say a very indelible blood it must have been for those tracings have withstood the wash of high water for many a year 
whether the picture writing is genuine or no there is plenty of evidence that indians lived along the shores of many islands and there is a pretty story told of the wedding of a girl white eagle's daughter to a young brave of her tribe the indians came down the lakes and through the portages to queensport in their fine canoes and the lovers were married there by the priest at the mission afterward they were all entertained at dinner by the big-hearted wife of the principal merchant of the town that lady's daughter tells me that for many seasons thereafter the chief's daughter would bring or send beautiful birch baskets filled with berries or maple sugar for the children of her hostess the bride is described as slim and young with big dark eyes the wedding dress was dark blue cloth trimmed with new minted five and ten cent pieces pierced and sewed on in the pattern this worn over a vest of buckskin beautifully embroidered what became of you little indian bride girl of the grateful heart were you happy here at many islands or was it life-blood of your brave that helped to redden all the waters did you move back and back with your wandering people or are you lying under the cedars on some green slope of the shore i shall never know but i shall think of you and wonder there are no indians here now except one old squaw who lives far back on the road to maskinagi and tans buckskins in the fine old indian way but the plough turns up the arrowheads and once in a while a bowl or pipe proofs that the red men lived and fought here End of chapter one